Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Hey everyone, I'm your host Chris Sands, and today I am at Milk House Brewery with Tom Bars and Brian Butler. Thank you for uh, having me out, gentlemen. Thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. We are very happy to have you here, Chris. So why don't you tell everyone uh, who you are first, and then we'll get into why we're here. Okay. I'm Tom Bars, and I own Still Point Farm with my wife, Carol Ann, and we also own Milk House Brewery at Still Point Farm in Frederick County, Maryland, um, where we brew Maryland-based beer, grow our own hops, and uh, have a general farm. Uh, and a we, bunch of goats. They're sheep, sheep Chris. Same yes. thing. We raise sheep and a few beef cows. I live in the city. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, in fact, you're going to take about 50 of them with you when you leave, Chris. Can I take some chickens? No. Those are the have, popular thing. Yeah. No. No, no chickens allowed. Don't they? They don't. Do they, they even stop laying eggs at this time now? Or is the weather not cold enough for them to stop? In the, in the natural state, chickens either slow down or quit laying eggs in the wintertime, and it's light-based, not cold-based. Oh, so okay. people people can put timers and lights in their chicken coop, and they will continue to lay all year. But, okay. But a lot of old-timers also say chickens need a break. That's why they quit laying. Yeah, there, were, there was just a uh, – they were talking about on the radio a couple weeks ago, but like the new fad of people really wanting chickens now. And there was a couple of people who raised chickens calling in saying like all these morons going out and buying them. Now they're not going to lay eggs for them for a few months. Right. <laughs> they're True. completely wasting their time. Well, plus when you raise a backyard flock, backyard flock, typically you're going to collect eggs and they're going to cost you $10 a dozen. Yeah. I, that's what and running in my head. I'm like, how I don't, I don't see how that is any, it's going to be any cheaper. Like the taking care of, the chickens and everything is not going to, at least in, for me personally, would not outweigh how much they cost. But they do taste delicious. They do taste. It's like it's a completely different product. It is. There's no difference. Actually, so we're not here to talk about chickens, so I took that completely off rail. Uh, Brian, why do you matter? I don't know, um, but I do appreciate you all answering that question because I get that a lot in my job. Okay. <laughs> so I am an extension agent, a principal agent with the University of Maryland, uh, Cooperative Extension. Uh, my office is in uh, Carroll County, but I do research at the Western Maryland Research and Education Farm, and that's where our experimental hop yard is. So the people just expect that since you grow stuff, you know about chickens too? Oh, absolutely. Yes, Absolutely. <laughs> Um, so yesterday I had the opportunity to come out in for the presentation about this new hop that was recently, I guess it wasn't recently discovered, but the, the knowledge of it was re recently acquired. Uh, so I'll let you two fight over who wants the, I'm going to guess Tom's just going to jump in. He is, is going to jump in. So I'm, well, I'm going to say first, this is what we like to refer to as a new hop to us and an old hop to Maryland. So, Tom, with that, I'm going to let you go. Yes. Okay. So I was at a conference. Actually, it was a memorial for um, a former Mer Frederick County Farm Bureau president at Linganore Wine Cellars. Can I point out it's just kind of weird to call like a memorial a conference? 
well, it was it turned into a conference. Okay. Um, and it was a bunch of agricultural related people. Still weird. Um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> and it was at, and it was at Linganore Wine Cellars. Uh, and anyway, one of the attendees was Dr. Ray Ediger, retired veterinarian who lives here in Utica in Frederick County. And he approached me and said, um, you're the hop guy, right? And I said, yeah, Ray, I guess I'm the hop guy. <laughs> he said, I have hops too. And uh, anyway, we talked about them and I suggested to him that I would like to come out and check them out, see what they're like. So uh, Brad Humbert, who was my brewer at the time, and Del Hayes, another hop grower, and I went out to Ray's farm up in Utica on Old Frederick Road, and we found this monster of a hop plant that had taken over a fence and his chicken coop and other buildings and a tree, and it was just everywhere. And this was around the 1st of October, and it still had cones that had obviously recently ripened. How is, long ago was this? This was in October of 2013. Okay. And anyway, we um, we were flabbergasted at the monster of this hop plant, the the binds themselves, which is the the you know the bind the the stem that grows 18 yeah. feet up into the was huge, like an inch in diameter. Um, and typically hops that we grow and that other Maryland growers grow, they're like a quarter of an inch and, you know, but, but these were like almost tree trunks. So I've never been to uh, anywhere where hops grow really well or like where, where like the Pacific North, whether it's Northwest. Is that how a hop vine would typically be there? Or is this unique to the Monocacy hop? It, like that thick of a vine. They are much larger there and much more vigorous there than okay. they are here. Um, but this is, this sort of surpasses them. They, these are so big and they grow so quickly. And uh, it, the plant is just massive. And what is so unique to this plant is the, those plants that were bred to grow in the Pacific Northwest were bred to grow in a very high desert situation high latitude, high altitude, no rainfall, 4% humidity. They perform very well there, and they do grow well there. We bring them here to, to the mid-Atlantic, and every insect and every disease is a huge problem. And then also the yields aren't as well. They don't have nearly the same alpha acids, and the, the, the quality of them aren't as, as great too, right? We can, if I understand correctly. We can hit a lot of the quality standards okay. with very high inputs, so we have to spray them very often and really baby them along, but we cannot get the yields. Okay. And we don't have the longevity of the stand. The plants tend to not be able to live much longer than three, five years, some oh, less. So you're constantly reinvesting, having to plant new. We're, we're, we're having to replant or interplant or do something, change varieties. So after a number of years working with those, uh, looking at the economics of what they could yield versus what it costs to grow them and replacements and so forth, those hops were just not working for us. Yeah. Although we have two, we have two varieties that do reasonably well in Maryland. Three actually: Chinook, Chinook, Cascade, Cascade, and Brewer's Gold. Okay, and they do pretty well. And Chinook with less input than either the Cascade or the Brewer's Gold. Chinook's the best. Um, so it 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 actually, and that's what we grow mostly here, mm -hmm. and it does pretty well with. 
um, Tom Bars's lazy farming methods. It does pretty well. <laughs> and, and, is that and, trademarked? <laughs> it, is, it is. It is. And then having said that, there is one from the Pacific Northwest. Or, well, it's actually, it's more of an Eastern hop. It's more of a Canadian hop. Um, a Canadian red vine um, does grow well here. It really is a monster. Not like Monocacy, but is a real strong grower. Yet what it does is it imparts garlic and onions and grass into the beer. Oh, so you don't want it. No. Correct. <laughs> That's great that it grows so oh, well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, from a horticultural perspective, from my yeah. side, I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is fantastic. From a Tom side, ugh. Yeah, who cares? Exactly. Pretty, pretty <laughs> Throw it away. Get yeah. it away from me, Brian. Pretty nasty stuff. All right. So you should, you went out to look at them. Visually, right off the bat, visually, there, you knew there was something different about it. So, we thought there was something different about it. Um, I thought, because... Maryland farmers used to grow, even in Frederick County, grew hops back in the 1800s. I thought maybe it was something left over, a cl- old cluster variety, maybe even had sort of become a land race where it had bred itself to become something different. Um, so, But I thought it was a cluster, you know, which used to be the most popular hop grown in America. And so we played with it. We picked some that day, in fact, picked mm. them and brought them back. And we used it. Over the years, we dry hopped a lot of cask ale with it. We brewed a couple of minor batches. We, uh, I don't think we ever dry hopped it in a beer, but we would add some in the whirlpool occasionally for the, you know, my little English bitter or the farmhouse occasionally just to play with. Never got really excited about it. And then uh, I met Brian Butler shortly after he started the hop variety trial at the University of Maryland Research Farm in Keatesville. Um, and then, and actually two years after that, I said, you know, we do have this other hop growing around here. He just remembered. <laughs> and I said, would you be interested in looking at that? So, uh, we gave him some rhizomes and he propagated them and in my basement in his basement, uh, in Carroll County, which is sort of like a foreign country around here. But, um, <laughs> although my property does stretch all along the Little Pipe Creek. Uh, so I border Frederick County, very close cousin. Actually, and, you know, maybe I think the Frederick County uh, boundary is your side of the creek. So maybe. It, it may be, but don't <laughs> tell the tax people, yeah. please. <laughs> anyway, so. So, well, I remember last night when you were talking, you had said that, like, you didn't see anything really special. And you, you just touched on that where you thought it was something that had been around here forever. Right. But when you told Brian about it, he was very interested in it. So was it that description of how the plant was growing that made you think it was something unique? Or like, why did, why did it pique your interest? Well, so in 2015, we built a hop yard at Keatesville. Um, we put in 12 varieties from the Pacific Northwest. We started growing those. Tom, we, we put a call out in 2016 to the brewers and, and, and producers and said, could you guys come out and look at this hop yard? I was a novice. This was my first year growing hops, and I wanted grower input. I wanted people to look at these things and see what they thought. Tom came out and says, wow, this looks great. We should do something with this. This is exciting. We added 12 more varieties, so we're growing a half an acre. We're growing replicated plots, 24-variety trial, and we had gotten some press. Um, We were in the Smithsonian Magazine. A family contacted me and said, we have a hop. It's been on our farm for over 100 years. This is really exciting. You need to add this. We want to donate it. We just want it named after our family. Please put this in. 
And I'm like, okay, this is exciting. And I did. Well, long story short, that turned out to be centennial. (laughs) And um, we did all the genetic evaluation on it and did all this work on it. And, oh, no, it's not anything unique. And that was kind of a letdown. Well, when Tom mentioned that there was another one, I'm like, really? <laughs> you know, oh, oh I t- so you got more centennial, Tom? Great. Yeah. So, so I touched the stove once, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I'm like, I know it's hot. Do I touch it again? So um, we, we said, well, let's, what, what the heck? And we put so it in. So that, that first one, was that something they were growing or was it like, like the Monoxy hop where it was just growing wild on a farm? They had had it on their farm and then had moved it around within their family and they were growing it in a cultivated okay, so state. So they, they were purposely Yes, they made beer with it. Okay. Yes. Then, they, well, this is great. This is wonderful. It was very exciting. But like I say, it turned out to be something that already existed. It was released in 1972 by the USDA. So that was a disaster. Well, it was a lot of time that had gone yeah. down. So we, Tom approached me. I'm like, what the heck? We put it in. We, the first year, it started very slowly. It was hard to propagate. It didn't really seem to want to catch. Uh, it took a long time to get it established. And we actually did finally get it established and growing. And in 2020, we thought, okay, here we go. We're going to have this hop. We're going to see what's going on. Not like 2020 was bad enough already, right? Yeah. So July, late July, uh, we usually harvest in mid-August. Their enti- our entire hop yard blew down in a 10-minute storm. We lost oh, a half geez. an acre of hops. Oh, is it when there there was like hurricane, uh, not hurricane, uh, tornadoes that hit in Carol- Was it one of those it, it was, storms? It, it, was, it was in Washington County. It was straight line winds. Okay. It was 10 minutes. The whole hop yard went down. We lost everything. But what I did have is I still had parts of the plant. And we had just gone through the letdown that the other one was nothing. And the hop yard was laying on the ground. And I'm thinking, this is the end. And for some reason, I was driving home and I said, you know what, let's take this hop from Dr. Edgar's farm. Let's plead with the USDA out in Corvallis to run another test for us. And I called him and I said, look, I'm not a crazy person. <laughs> I, I know what I just sent you was, was a complete dead end. But would you please bear with me one more time? And they did the testing and it was so interesting. I had a USDA scientist call me on a phone on my phone on a Friday and say, I'm so excited. This is so interesting. It is totally unique. This is a totally unique hop, and which that's what really got me excited is yeah. that it was unique and we had seen it grow. We hadn't harvested it, but we had seen this is a plant that did well. We knew it did well at Dr. Edgar's because it was not taken care of there. Yeah, so on his farm, they weren't doing it. Like it just was taking over. It was shade for his chicken coop. (laughs) And and, and it was so no insecticides, no fungicides, no fertility, nothing. And it was doing very well and coming back every year. So we had seen it could grow. We could see it could grow in a cultivated state. That's when, when those test results came, that's when we really put our shoulder into it and started taking cuttings, and I really began the propagation process hard in 2020, the fall of 2020, and getting ourselves together so that we could get this yard established and really try to do something with it, grow it in a commercial state. And and this has been a great partnership because I do the horticulture, I stay in my lane, you know, I'll grow it and I'll process it and do the best job I can and then hand it to a brewer like Tom 
and then they do the cool stuff with it. Uncapped is brought to you by one of Frederick's original Maryland craft beer destinations, located off of Urbana Pike, featuring a warm, inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh, locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap. Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, mom's spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts, Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs, are one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. So do you have any of it growing here, Tom? Or is it just in Keatesville and uh, still I, on? I don't have it here, but uh, Brad Humbert has some in his hop yard, um, a little bit. Uh, Del Hayes has two or three plants in his hop yard, and they do well there um, with much less care than the U- University of Maryland gives. And then Harry Horn, my brewer, has some growing up his um, old windmill tower. Uh, and last year they got too tall for him to actually climb up and harvest them. <laughs> but uh, Became yeah. an ornamental. Yeah, became an ornamental. So... No, they, because we didn't think it was anything special. I'm like, I'm not wasting room in my hop yard for this plant. You know, uh, Now I have changed my mind about that, and I hope to put some in this fall uh, if we get uh, starts. And um, anyway, so we after we got the report from the USDA that this was genetically unique, we went back to Dr. Ediger's and harvested as many hops as we could pick so that we could make a beer with just that hop. Yeah. You know, not the ones from the University of Maryland, but from Dr. Ediger's original plant. So I made, I think, 20 gallons of a pale ale using only that hop for the, you know, for everything, the bittering and the aroma and flavor and dry hopped. And we loved that little beer. And we called it, I forget what we called it, Catoctin Heritage Pale Ale or something. Something delicious. Yeah. And so we had just enough. We bottled it. Um, uh, made a little label for it and we passed it out at some events and um, we thought, oh, we got something really cool. So Brian then said, okay, we're going to town. Planted 200? About 200 plants at Keatesville, yes. And um, in May, right? You planted them in May of 2020. We, we planted some in the fall. Oh, of, right. We planted some in the fall of 2020. 21 because those were the first plants I could get growing. So we plant, we did a fall planting, which is not typical and we overwintered them. Was that just because you wanted to to get started as soon as possible? It was at this point, it was, we wanted to learn everything we possibly could. So I rolled the dice. Um, I had been propagating. I had been getting plants. I could overwinter them inside or we could plant them out and see how they would do. A lot of them did well. They survived through the winter. And so we had about half of them out in October, 
uh, September probably, and then came back in the spring of 22 and finished out the hop yard with the rest of the plants I had, I had propagated. So we had sort of a sp- split planting of okay. two different dates. Both sets did very well. Uh, I was very impressed how they went through the winter, the ones that were planted in October, September, October. Um, when we went to Dr. Edgar's to harvest, we harvested those in, it was, I think it was October the 14th. And we harvested by hand. So we knew that this was going to be a hop that was not going to ripen at the same time as normal hops. Normal hops were picking in like mid-August. This one we knew was going to be significantly later. So planning in the fall and planning in the spring, I wasn't too worried because I thought, well, we're going to have a longer season with this. So that's how we got the thing kind of up and running. Well, is that just um, the nature of that hop or is it because it had just been growing wild and not ki- harvested ever that it, that it kind of shifts its cycle or is that just how that hop at 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 his farm i had already muted my phone tom i i (laughs) i I, I, it's probably the president calling it's a spam risk okay please mute your phone sir i just muted my phone um at dr edgar's um because it was just growing the way it was growing um they were ripening very late when we put it on on a trellis and grew it like a commercial hop we we went from an october harvest to a mid-september harvest so we brought that back okay. but it's, it's the nature of the hop it's still a full month later it's, it's, it grows a full month longer than the pacific northwest types of hops and just you have, like and the climate it it the climate it prefers for growing shifts with like the sun, amount of sunlight the moisture everything where I, I think it's the plant Okay. Yeah. It, it really and there are some there are some varieties that are earlier mid season yes. and late season. So that depends on the cultivar. But it's usually you're talking more like days or a week, not yeah. a month. And that's what was cool about this. And the other thing it made it so much nicer to harvest. It's so much nicer to go through a harvest in September than it is to go through in early August. You can imagine in Maryland, yeah. you know. Way more comfortable. Yes. Yeah, yeah we were happy about that. <laughs> Because we, I, I, you may have come to some of my ha- harvest parties here. Uh, yes, it, I'm in, pretty in, sure I have. In August, when it's 98 degrees and 98% humidity, and um, there's not enough beer to drink, and it's pretty, but still fun, but pretty tough on you. Um, it's fun once. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I know I've only done it once for sure. <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, then what happened? These monsters took off. So... Um, what was exciting is um, they did jump out of the ground early, and we didn't crown them this year, which is normally what we would do to kind of set them back and to um, sort of create a more uniform growth pattern. What does that mean? What is crowning? What mean? we do is we wait for um, the plants to sprout. We get them up and in in, you know, start to grow, and in April or even early May, we'll come in with a very light rototilling or a very low mower or something that we can get down and cut that plant right down to the ground and sort of reset it. And then we'll have binds that will jump back up. And from that, we can pick our four binds per plant and we can start training those up onto the string. So we sort of reset the plant. Okay. And that way we get a more uniform growth and more uniform harvest. Because if you don't, you either get all of your hops at the very top of the plant and you can't get them down and it's a mess um, or you get very uh, ununiform ripening. So you have some that are past and some that aren't ready yet. So we try to reset them. Now, we didn't do them this year because 
it was their first year. Um, but we got them growing. Uh, they jumped out of the ground. The way they grew was just phenomenal. We still have six varieties of the Pacific Northwest type growing in a hop yard next to this. Um, and to watch them take off, and it was, it was sort of, everybody sort of takes off at the same time, and these plants over here are a foot taller, two feet taller, three feet taller, and then they start to grow bigger and bigger. The scary thing was, though, and this is where all of your colleagues will start to second-guess you, August the 4th, you could see all the hop cones on all of our other varieties forming beautiful, nice, oh, this is exciting. You know, you could pull them off and kind of, ah, they smell good. The monocacy had nothing, 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 and not even a burr. And it's like, oh, gosh, Brian, what did you do? <laughs> did, did you propagate the right plant? What yeah. did you do while you were propagating? Do you know what you're doing? And it's like, and I'm, I'm being cool, you know. It's like, it's fine. I know exactly what I'm doing. Everything's in hand. Well, Exactly how I expected it exactly, to grow. Exactly, exactly what I was anticipating. And so, um, absolutely not. It was So, on that day, that meeting, the very first burr showed up. We had, a, I, we had a field day. We had a field day. We had a field day with the Brewers Association. Growing Fortify was there. And we had brewers come out. I actually took a piece of flagging tape and, and tied it over top of that one burr and had everybody file by <laughs> to see there was a burr. There's going to be hops. Well, it wasn't long after that that they started to really take off. And there were more burrs and more burrs and more burrs and more burrs. And it started to be almost scary because these things were so big. The plants were so big and they were so vigorous and there were so many cones forming. It's, it was something that I had never seen and certainly not seen in the East, a plant that was so aggressive and so strong. And it is very resistant to diseases in, this, in the Mid-Atlantic. And it's also tolerant of a lot of insect pressure. So things like mites, two-spotted spider mites are a huge problem. They'll, they'll knock down the Pacific Northwest hops in, a, in three days well, they'll get on these, but they don't really bother them. So inputs are significantly less, but these plants just began to thrive and it got a little scary. We did not know when they were going to be ripe, um, but we started testing. We started watching moistures. We started paying attention um, and they came on. Uh, and as Tom's going to attest to, uh, when we went out to harvest, um, we lost an awful lot of the hops because the plants were so big and there were so many hops it completely overwhelmed our harvester. Oh wow! Yeah. We 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 so you could just couldn't process the it was a the vines. It was a nightmare putting the vines through. We use a, a, a portable hopster harvester, and um, it was something like I'd never experienced in the whole time I'd been doing this. It's not like I've been doing this my whole life, but it was so different. We had to feed them through so carefully. We had to figure out what we were doing. They grow very long side arms, so it's just this massive amount of plant material, and it would stop the machine. It would shut the machine down. Um, there were hops going everywhere, flying all over the place. Um, so our, our recorded yield was 0.87 pounds per plant, which is phenomenal for a first-year plant. But percentage-wise, it was horrible? Tom? Probably 50%. It was on the ground. <laughs> At least 50% went on the ground. It got to the point where I'm like, dude, this is crazy. Um, and I had a harvester. I brought mine up. We had two harvesters out there. I said, you know, I wonder if that wolf harvester is still down at Larry Pomerantz's place. Vanish. Yeah. So I called Larry. said, dude, 
is that harvester still there? Yeah, it's still here. Is it running? I think so. <laughs> so he found out that it was that, you know, they have a farm manager down there. I forget his name. Um, nice guy. Anyway, he's like, yeah, they're so big now. They have no idea what right, <laughs> other people right. are doing. <laughs> so we, we met Larry and his farm manager down there and he got the machine running and we ran what 20 vines through it that we had left. So I've never been on a wolf harvester before. He comes in, he pushes a few buttons, says, if something happens, you push these buttons, and they left us in there alone <laughs> on a Saturday in the morning. And so it's like, okay, let's see what happens. So we're figuring it out as we go. Is it a lot bigger? Oh, it's huge. It's, okay. huge. it's bigger than this room. I okay. mean, it's huge. Bigger than a house. Yeah. Bigger than a house. Anyway, like, so we, gigantic. so it worked with this hop vine, um, better than the hopster. We think the hopster will work this year because we're going to crown the hops. We're going to try to control their growth a little bit better. Um, so we'll see. We're actually still collecting data, Chris. I mean, yeah. you know, under this. But yeah, it's new, only what two. This is the second year. This will right? be the second year. This will be the second year coming. So yes, we we and and a lot of people. So what now? And I said, well, we continue. We will continue to collect data. We will continue to work on how to manage this because it's a completely different animal, and we really have to learn. But we are going to be, be uh, we have uh, talked to a commercial greenhouse over in Baltimore County, the Radabaws, um, working with Jesse Radabaw over there in Baltimore County, and he is going to start propagating for us this spring. And we hope to have plants available uh, this fall to start planting out. So we want to start moving these out onto grower farms as well as continuing at Keatesville. We want to stay a little bit ahead there so we know what's coming and what's going on so we can help to make recommendations. But we want to start getting this out to everyone. When we found this was genetically uh, unique, one of the things that we did, Dr. Ediger, Tom, and myself, it was, it was so fun because Dr. Ediger gave me this hop and did a written agreement on the back of an envelope. And I have the envelope. <laughs> it's all done on the back of an envelope that... You have the rights to do this. We decided we would not patent this. We would not do anything to restrict others from using it. So the hop now lives in the germplasm repository in the USDA facility in Corvallis. And a breeder from Oregon or Washington or Cornell or wherever can gain access to this and use it. So we're going to be hopefully leading this charge as a Maryland product, a Maryland thing with Maryland brewers, Maryland propagators, and Maryland growers. And take this thing forward but the research will go on my thought is we will continue to be learning for at least five more years has there been interest outside of what you're doing of people to look at it the most the most interest i have gotten so far is um from florida i mean i guess yeah it's not exactly the same climate but they're oh. humid and well they're, they're growing them with lights and they're doing all these crazy things, and they're double cropping them and things like that. And so they've been interested. Um, we did present a poster at the American Hops Conference uh, in um, California, Santa, Santa, Santa Rosa, Rosa, California. Uh, that was two weeks ago. Um, so we have a paper coming up, uh, and that will be coming out. So we are ab not advertising this, but we are making this information available yeah. nationally. So if people do want to look at this, they're going to be able to. 
McClintock Distilling is Maryland's first and only certified organic distillery, handcrafting gins, whiskeys, vodkas, and cordials from non-GMO organic ingredients in downtown Frederick. Named the best vodka distillery in the country by USA Today, best gin in the world at the International Spirits Competition, and double gold at the World Spirits Competition for bourbon, rye, and gin. Open now for tours, tastings, and classes. Come sample the most awarded distillery in Frederick today. Whether you are a local beer lover or have a fan of beer in your life, don't miss Love Thy Beer, Friday, February 10th in Silver Spring. Love Thy Beer is BAM's annual showcase of locally crafted winter ales and lagers. Fans of Malt Forward Winter Beers can buy tickets to this great event now. Tickets available at Eventbrite or MarylandBeer.org. So is there has there been any evidence found of it growing elsewhere? No. no. So like to, to your knowledge, right now the only place that it existed was on that farm. That's correct. And then now where you have purposely planted it. That is the only real hop yard of this hop. That's crazy. Yes. Yeah, and, it is. and we're not saying that it may not be growing along some riverbank in yeah, West Virginia yeah, yeah. or Pennsylvania. But if someone else finds it, it's called monocacy. Yeah. It, it's, so, so it's very promising, and all evidence is pointed towards that it can grow successfully without all the jumping through hoops that other hops present in maryland yes what about its flavor characteristics and aroma characteristics i'm now passing the ball to tom <laughs> well we when we made that little beer in 2020 from dr edgar's hops and we that was the first time we ever brewed a beer with this hop alone all the other times we used this hop it was like i said it was in a dry hop in a cask of goldie's best bitter or or the farmhouse ale of which you're familiar with and so we made this beer. I'm all of a sudden intrigued by the floral, fruity, spicy, and earthy aromas produced by this hop, all in one. Um, I think the first thing I said is, this is sort of like a combination of a Sazer hop and a Southern Cross from New Zealand. Uh, and then when we got these hops in September, Brian, the nice thing about the, the facility in uh, Keatiesville now is that not only do they grow the hops, but they also they have a full processing ability as well. So they dry them and pelletize them and pack, vacuum seal them, and you know they're ready for us to brew. Like with. any other, like any other facility out in the, you know, the out west or in the Midwest or New York. Um, so we had them ready. Brian delivered them. I went and got some. Brian delivered some. We put them in the cold box till Harry was ready to brew with them. So when you were when you were working with them, they were you were using them pelletized whole cone. The first, originally, the, the first, originally, yeah. originally, but like the the beers that you came out with yesterday, they're all are, pelletized. Okay. Yes, and in fact, the one we did in twenty twenty were pelletized. No, they weren't. No, no, they no, were no. whole cone. That's right, they were whole cone. So, and that's how we always ever used them was whole cones. So anyway, so we had thirty five or thirty seven pounds of. Uh, 40 this, couple, 40 couple. Uh, 40 couple pounds of this hop. Processed, pelletized, they were beautiful. Um, we decided we had enough hops to brew three fairly light beers. Uh, so we decided to brew uh, a version of our local lager. We make this little local lager. Uh, we brewed that with this hop exclusively, 10 barrels of that. 
we decided it might be interesting to work with a little bit maltier beer. So we came up with a Vienna lager recipe that would um, hopefully marry well with this hop. Which is my favorite. And then we brewed a pale ale where we used um, Che Carton's Maryland-grown Chinook hops as a, as a bittering base. And then finished it with the Minoxy hop. That was my idea. Yes, Brian. Thank you. And it was a, and I it thought was, you stayed in your lane. I, I know. I, I'm, I'm swerving. I'm swerving. I'm going to swerve again because what we did um, also before Tom started is we did six different uh, uh, tests on it. We sent it away to a lab, and we had it tested six different times to make sure we had the profile correct, that we knew what, what we really had. And, Tom, can you talk about the alpha and beta acids? So, yeah, the hop came back um, in terms of its chemical component. Similar to uh, a, noble hop. a noble hop, Central European Sazer or Hallertauer, very low alpha acid. Um, interestingly, higher beta acid, um, very high myrcene level and carophylline level. Uh, and those two chemicals will give you, a, oils will give you a very, very strong hoppy aroma in the, in the cone. Um, and, and, but we weren't sure, and so smelling the hop itself, you couldn't tell what would it be like in a beer. Um, and I'm a little bit worried because I'm not sure what these oils are going to do as the only hop in a beer, especially a light beer. Yeah. Um, so we said, what the heck? So we pretended, so it was 2.77 or 2.75 was the alpha acid that we worked with, which meant we need a lot of hops to bitter a beer with. Um, and we had them. So I'm like, okay, we're going to bite the bullet and see what happens with these three beers. And we're brewing 10 barrels of each. Uh, the pale ale, we used them just for finishing, uh, both in the whirlpool and dry hopped with them. The lagers, we did not dry hop. Um, uh, we used them in the boil and in, and in the whirlpool, but um, at flame out. So they ended up being fabulous. Well, you tasted them last night. I was very happy. The the in the very light beer, um, very floral, uh, more floral than any hop that I can think of that I've ever used or even tried, but also with a spice note and an earth note. And so, my first sip of it while it was in the tank, I'm like, oh my god! It's like you walked into a floral shop because you get the floral, you get the earthiness. You get the verdant green. You get the, you know, all, all these things all wrapped in one. I'm like, I can't wait till this is carbonated to find out what it's really going to taste like. Um, and it still has that strong floral component and and the other, to a lesser degree, earthy and, and some people think fruity components, um, but very evident. And the, and the, in the Vienna Lager, um, kind of similar, but the malt masks some of the floral. Um, and actually, I think it's, it actually works better with a little bit more malt in the beer. Um, and then, and also the lager yeast, uh, marry very well with this hop. Um, we use Chico in the pale ale and it, it sort of reduces that floral note, um, in the pale ale. And it, I thought it worked really well with the Chinook bittering hop, but it almost seems like a different hop in the pale ale compared to the two lagers. So as our first experimental, real experimental beers with this hop, I'm pretty happy. Um, I think it could be uh, perfect in a, 
a light Belgian ale. Um, it could be cool in a sour, a kettle sour, or a wild yeast ale. Um, I think there's a lot of fun experimentation that can happen. And in fact, just one more note, in our second year of the USDA grant program, we're going to work with... Uh, you haven't even mentioned the USDA grant yet, so you can't oh. go straight to the two oh, sorry. Okay. second year of it. Okay, so, well, <laughs> Brian, you talk about the grant. <laughs> so, <laughs> excuse me, so um, we um, were able to work with Grow and Fortify, and um, we secured a specialty crops block grant from the Maryland Department of Agriculture, which is money that comes through the USDA. And so they have funded the project for two years, and our hope is to extend that grant for another two-year cycle and maybe even a third two-year cycle to be able to fund this work, again, using money so that we can get this out to everybody. And as Tom mentioned, heavy seas will come on next year. This year now. Well, yes, sorry, thank you. Come on in 23 as our second brewery. So we want to have a larger brewery and a smaller brewery continuing to work with this. Um, So I think that there's a lot moving forward here, but the exciting thing to me is being a non-brewer, it is not Canadian red vine. (laughs) That was my greatest concern is that that there's going to be another, there's this horticultural gem sitting there and it's, Oh boy, we put this in and it was trash and it does not appear to be trash. It appears to be something pretty exciting. Yeah. And it, it makes a really nice finishing hop Um, at this, at our first, uh, level and I talked to Chris Leonard um, at Heavy Seas. He's the head brewer at Heavy Seas, and um, they're they got a few pounds from Brian and they're playing with a little bit in some pilot batches. And he's pretty excited about um, doing something cool with it this year. I've, he has no idea, and I have no idea what they're going to do with it. Um, but they're a pretty creative bunch over there, so uh, I'm looking forward to collaborating with them on this project as well. So. You had mentioned earlier that to that it was economically economically it was not feasible to grow other types of hops. So does this look promising that this because it thrives so well that it will be economically feasible to grow the monocacy hop in Maryland? I will we will see. But indicators are it requires fewer inputs. And it is more productive. Inputs being spraying, exactly. trimming, or all, all, all of the, all of the all the costs of, of fertilizer, insecticides, fungicides, all that type of thing. If we can reduce the bills, and then we have a higher yield, my hope is we will come around and be much closer. Which yield doesn't sound to be a problem. No, yield is looking very good. <laughs> if we can get a handle of it, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I think. I don't know that we'll ever really be competitive with the Pacific Northwest. because yeah, they just have so much, right. and it just thrives there. So. Yes, but culturally, having a Maryland hop, a truly Maryland hop in Maryland beer, that we can really say this is ours, this is all of ours, that it, it was found here. Um, we have Dr. Ediger. We had Dr. Ediger here yesterday uh, evening at the, at the program, um, we, we, we have the Secretary of Agriculture, the Department of Agriculture, acknowledging that this is something new and unique. Commerce is seeing this as something that's an opportunity. Well, I mean, because how often is a new plant found in the United States now? I mean, that can't be like an everyday occurrence, I would think. It, right? is, it is not. And, and someone said, well... Um, like, let alone it being, I mean, hops, I'm sure it's even 
more rare, but just a new plant in general. We were asked yesterday if if another hop had been found like this in Maryland within the last five to ten years. And I said with a pretty great amount of confidence, I don't think there's ever been a hop like this found that someone has been able to clearly identify is totally unique in Maryland. So I think, I don't want to go out too far on a limb, but this is a first. As far as we know, this is a first. And how, how many hop varieties are there oh, that, that are cataloged by the USDA? A jillion. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> in the thousands. Well, I think I've like the number forty thousand jumps into my head from I, the I, video I, that was played. Yeah, I I, I, it's a lot. It is a lot, and and most of them are useless, and they're um, <laughs> well because they it's have a huge stupid Canadian. Yeah, stuff. well because they have a huge breeding program, <laughs> and so there are varieties yeah. that exist that will never be commercially viable, and and that could happen with this one. We don't know. I mean, yeah. we we're we're very happy with it, and who knows? Maybe if we get this. Grand extended, and somebody starts playing with it as a breeding hop. We may find that they think it's better for breeding purposes rather than you know to try to in, use the disease resistant characteristics of the hop, uh, or maybe try to increase its alpha acid or whatever. You know, we don't know. Who knows? I'm crazy scientists. Um, but our plan is to go with what we got yeah, for now. Yes, we, is to stay on monocacy and really really figure this thing out so that we can make informed um, uh, uh, recommendations to people that want to look at this. Because I've spent the last seven years telling people, don't do this. I know. It's, yeah. Like yeah. It was, it, it's, it's exciting to see you excited because I'm pretty sure the last time I talked to you, you you kind of expressed like people should just give up that yep. this is not a viable yep. Yep. <laughs> crop for Maryland. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I, I own it a hundred percent. I absolutely own that. But you had no idea this existed. That's correct. So yep. I mean, it's it, it's not like you knew that was sitting there onto the side and you were declaring. So we so we're pretty excited about it. We're actually, I guess you can tell. Um, yeah. <laughs> and we so just one other inter- interesting point from a brewer's point of view. And from a beer drinker's point of view, you know how styles change, trends change. We're seeing the trend of lagers being becoming more popular with craft brewers. We're seeing people getting tired of the the super heavy hazy IPAs. Um, people are looking for the new, always looking for the new next thing. But I've noticed a. a um, well, the new next thing is what was popular a decade ago right now. Right. <laughs> so we, so what, which I'm excited about so, lagers and West coast IPAs. Yeah. So I'm, so I'm with that, with the popularity of lagers again, which is a side note, everyone should go to idiom this weekend and pick up sans hands volume two, double West coast IPA. Oh it's yeah. Absolutely delicious. Okay, good. We'll have to check it out. But the and lager that did roll right off your tongue too. That was very good. That was but very good. It's but being, the lager, it's being but, canned today. Yeah. But the lager business, the lager um, interest in lagers, makes this a perfect hop for those beers. So, in the, this was echoed by a few people last night. The Vienna Lager that that you made, I don't think that if it was handed to me outside of that setting that when I drank it, I would think like, huh, there's something weird about this hop. This isn't normal. So uh, like in my mind, that makes it promising that it's usable. Like there is like, it's, it's remarkable and it's unremarkableness. Right. 
Like, it, it's not yes. like, because so, I mean, there's a lot of bad beer that's been made with Maryland hops that I've had over the, <laughs> the last yes. many years. Yes. Like it, t- it takes a lot of work for a brewer to make a good beer with. Well, and that's another scary thing about the hop industry in Maryland, and actually all up and down the East Coast, is that when we first started growing hops in the East Coast, in New York, started in New York again, which is used to be the center of the hop industry in this country back in the 1800s, People would grow hops. They'd have a quarter of an acre or, you know, a hundred plants or whatever. And they'd show up at their local brewers with a couple of five gallon buckets of nasty looking hops <laughs> and be like, hey, would you like to buy these hops? And the brewer would look at them and it's like, I guess I should feel sorry for this guy. Okay, I'll buy them. How much you want for them? $18 a pound. Anyway, we got a bad reputation as hop growers. Yeah. Um, from the brewers. In spite of all the support that Flying Dog and Heavy Seas gave us, because, you know, like in every industry, there was a few of us that persevered. Uh, there's a few serious growers in Maryland who do a really nice job and have really nice products. And brewers buy their hops. But they have to put in so much more work, as you yep. mentioned earlier, they, than what. And they do it because it's a it's a labor of love. It's a labor of love. Yeah. And, you know, I still grow hops, but I don't sell them by the pound anymore. I sell them by the pint. You know, yeah. which is much more profitable than selling <laughs> them by the pound. So um, we sell them my hops by the pint, and uh, I buy other Maryland growers' hops. Though. So all my hops in all of our beers are Maryland grown. And so the, fortunately for us, because that's our niche kind of, there are enough growers to provide enough hops for us to continue yeah. buying them. So uh, and we and producing our own because they, they they grow hops that I don't grow. And I have to throw real quick that. Um, when we started the project, it was, again, coming at it from a horticultural perspective, can they grow? Flying Dog jumped in, and they were very interested, and they funded a lot of my early work. They, they, they really jumped in with both feet. Like part of, was it part of the Field Notes yes, the, yes. program? So we're st- so we're st- guess, so was it, would you call that a program? I guess it's, or, it's, it, a, it's a beer. Thing. It's Field a thing. Notes thing. It's a thing. It's a, it's it a thing. is a thing. It is a thing. But when they said we're going to do a thing, they said, you have to process them. We don't want you to come in with bags of wet hops. Yeah. We don't want this. You need to be able to dry them. You need to be able to grind them up, pelletize them, vacuum pack them, freeze them. We need them in a state. To be a real product. Yes. And it caused me to be an adult. It caused me <laughs> to say, okay, we're not playing in a sandbox. Yeah. We have to be serious. And that really directed me. And with this work and the work I've done in this project, and we continue, we want grower input. We wanted yesterday, they did the, um, the chart, the graph, the, uh, the spider chart. You mean brewer input. The brewer. We want grower and brewer. Right. Grower and brewer input. Yeah. We, we, we're doing this for the industry. Well, yeah, because, if, I mean, if brewers don't care about it, there's no reason to, to grow it. Yes. I mean, what, you're not using hops for anything else. Right. 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 There's really no other use. Is that's there? right. That's right. So we so that's why we want to work with Heavy Seas. And the plan is, if we have enough of a product, we'd like to share the wealth with other brewers in the state. Yeah. Um, to see what they could come up with. Uh, is the University of Maryland excited about it? I think or they, so. They're getting. I think they're getting. I, th- I think that I I would imagine that like that adds a lot of weight to the. Um, to the project as a whole too that it's 
coming out of the okay. University of Maryland. Okay, so now I'm going to go over the deep end. So <laughs> this is this is so now we've been on too long, and I, I can't help myself. So when we began this work, we were not allowed to use the word beer. Oh, really? So for it's the, so crazy and just. It's like it's the 1920s. How I mean, I I mean, a part of me is like, yeah, you like universities shouldn't probably promote or talk about beer because that could be a big problem. But also, it's so just ridiculous. And then because it, it's the University of Maryland is not the only one that's like that. It like there's the whole like uh, brewing uh, science stuff at the university uh, at uh, Mount St. Mary's, and mm-hmm. they're like. At first, they were very uptight about it, and mm-hmm. like all over the place. Mm-hmm. Just embrace. And we people can drink, uh, can drink responsibly. Well, and and, <laughs> and and we were focusing, and I always focused on the horticultural component. Yeah. But ultimately, like like you said, it goes into beer. Yeah. So thankfully, no other use. <laughs> that's changed now, and actually, at the university they're putting in a fermentation sciences program. So they're beginning to embrace this That's whole cool. thing. And so it is moving forward, but just to give you a feel, people say, well, how long have you been doing this and what obstacles have you had? Well, when we started, we couldn't even really talk about it. That's fine. So we're so doing, you can talk about growing it, but not what it was going right. to exactly. be. Exactly. Exactly. We produced it's not the like first, you're growing poppy plants. I know. <laughs> and we brewed the, when we brewed the first, when we brewed the first beer with the, the first harvest of your hops at yes. the university. Oh yeah. Um, we, I wanted to call it Beer the Turtle. Yeah. And um, no. yeah, that was. we actually sent off a letter to the dean and we got back absolutely not. So just like a photocopy of his middle finger. So, so we, we, we did have a picture of a, we did have a picture of a tortoise on the label. Yes, we did. And, but, but we called it Test Yard number one. So Test Yard was supposed to be a playoff Testudo. Yeah. Which uh, is the mascot the for the University of Maryland. So we tried to play it as best we could. Without getting too close to the sun. Yes. Oh, yes. But, <laughs> we they, didn't get caught. No, no, they let it go. But, but I believe uh, the University of Maryland is very protective of their trademarks. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. As oh, yeah. in every university is. How yes. many buckets of paint have been dumped on Testudo over in front of McKeldin Library? Not, it's done every none that year. I'm aware of. No. <laughs> How many did you say you did? Oh. <laughs> it was a different era. <laughs> um, oh, I had another question. I lost it. Oh no, I was just gonna say it was nice to see like the the participation from government officials last night from every layer. You had people from Frederick County, from the states. So it was it was great that the the Maryland cares. Maryland cared, and Maryland cared big yesterday. And I certainly am very grateful for the Secretary of Agriculture coming. And um, Kevin Addicts has been well known to this industry for a long time. Kevin had agreed to come to this program last night way before he was the Secretary of Agriculture. But he made time in his schedule and did come and did stay and did participate. But there were many others. The University of Maryland was represented, Maryland Department of Agriculture, Department of Commerce, Frederick County government was very well represented. The USDA. The, the USDA was here. Farm Bureau was here. Oh, so the national government cared. Yes. Yes. So it yes. Yeah, so it, it, it's cool. It is. It, it, I think it is something to be excited about. Yes, it is. It's 
it's that type of thing where as a scientist, you have to temper that, you know, yeah. something could always go wrong. We could, we could be, it could hit year three and then suddenly the, it turns into a plant that produces garbage. Yes, it, it's possible. Although, but I mean, if you were able, if it's close to what was growing on the doctor's farm, then. Yep. yep. And we'll find out and we will find out a second year. Typically, um, you, you don't get your full, you don't know what your full oil components are going to be, what your alpha acids are going to be. Typically, in a new hop yard in Maryland, like say with Cascade or Chinook, for two or three seasons. Or more. Or more. So we don't know yet what we're going to find this year or even next year. Um, it may, we, we just don't know. But we will continue the chemical analysis. So we're trying to keep it, we're, we are collecting data. So we we're, we're do the chemical analysis. We're keeping track of the economics uh, we're keeping track of the yields so that the dates, times, so that we really can put the book together yeah. on how this we is going to We will have like go. actual information instead of just like, well, I think like yes. what, what is typically done by yes. <laughs> people yeah. when they're... What I like to tell people is, come to Keatiesville. It's like looking in the underwear drawer. You're going <laughs> to see it all. Every mistake, every good thing, it's just raw. And when we invite folks up again this August... Um, we hope that folks will come and see it and see what we're doing and ask the questions and really see for themselves. And I think last night was a great first step, Tom sponsoring this program here, letting brewers, letting growers, letting other people taste this for themselves so that we're not saying, this is the greatest beer ever. Let them yeah. evaluate. Every brewer that was here last night, Chris, wanted to know how they could get some. How do I get this? And I'm like, you can't yet. But Sounds like you could start a black market for it there, Tom. <laughs> doesn't belong to me. Doesn't so, belong to anyone. He just said that. That's true. It belongs that's to right. everyone. <laughs> belongs to everyone. So that's why we want to work with yeah. this, this um, nursery in Baltimore County and get these plants out there so that people can start growing them and start utilizing this beer or this hop in their beer so we can really, I mean, it's all about, at this point, collecting data. Was there any idea or indication of how old that plant on the doctor's farm was? Other than very. <laughs> Honestly, we we kind of futzed around. He moved there in 72, didn't he? Something like and that. And it was already there. So that takes us back quite a bit. Yeah. It was a, an established plant. The only reason that plant exists there and stays there, another fun fact of this is, Dr. Edgar grew up in Oregon. As a child, he picked hops by hand. How many people so, would go into a property in Frederick County in 1972 and, and know no, what a yeah, hop? Yeah. yeah. But he did from being out west. Yeah. So he's like, ah, oh, what the heck, we'll leave that. Then he will tell stories about how he tried to kill it multiple times to get rid of it, and it wouldn't die. <laughs> and then it started providing shade for the chicken house. Yeah. He's like, well, here we'll, we'll so just it live was, with that. So it was never moved, or it no, was always no. that, that same that plant spot, that's yeah. at least... Oh, I was going to say three decades 50. old, but that is at five 50. decades yeah. at, <laughs> at, at this point. At least 50. Yeah. And and people wouldn't have been planting something, a wild hop like that in 1972. Yeah. So more than likely, it goes way beyond that. But this is part of the mystery. It's part of the fun. So is it possible it was like a mutation of something else? Or or is it so genetically unique that it, it has to be just its own thing that... It, came from somewhere. It is its own thing that came from somewhere. It it um it, it it really 
there is not really an answer to that. Yeah. And, and, but with today's technology, we were able, though, to determine it is unique and it is a North American wild hop. That would be how it would be generally classified. Okay. As a North, it, it, it actually will go down in the book as a North American wild hop called Monocacy. That's very cool. Yeah, it's uh, it will always be monocacy if they find it somewhere or and now as it will move around, um, the USDA in Florida is looking at it. Uh, there might be uh, professors or scientists out west that, that want to go to the germplasm lab and get that and use it. As Tom mentioned, they may want to breed with it uh, to increase disease resistance or whatever they yeah. want to do. Um, but it will always ultimately be. It's so a I mean, it, thing. it does have the potential to be a huge breakthrough knock on there's a lot of wood here there is a lot there's, of wood there's a lot of wood and i didn't even count tom's head on that yeah. one i'll knock on it so but so, there is a lot of so right now we have tons of potential yeah very little i data. mean like just from the exact plant but then using it to breed with other hops to get it, what seems to be its unique resiliency that it possesses yes, yes and there might so virginia pennsylvania New York, North Carolina, they may want to pick this up and put it in a breeding program. So it's like Tom said, we, we have, it, it's, it's always us reining ourselves back in. Yeah. To, it's so exciting. To and, not have another centennial moment. Right. And, <laughs> and as someone mentioned to me yesterday, they said, well, so when did you start this? And I said, well, this is eight years of mostly failure that has led to this sort of overnight success. And, so we've had an awful lot of downturns on this project over the years. Yeah. Um, it's kind of cool, and it is very cool. And But we will continue to, cr to create the, that book so that we will know and we will be able to. We, the, the thing is, we, in, we really do want to promote agriculture as well as the brewing industry. So yeah. if we can incorporate, say, Radabaugh's, and they have an opportunity to, to propagate this plant, and it helps the greenhouse nursery industry. If we can have growers that want to grow this, maybe orchardists would like to add this as, a, as an alternative crop to maybe increase their income uh, or new producers that want to come in and do something. So we're hoping, I'm hoping really that agricultural industry benefits as yeah. well as the overall brewing industry. And I just think for Maryland, um, you know, maybe this is, maybe this is the old Bay of hops. <laughs> there you go. It is there anywhere people can go to um, follow along and keep up to date with the progress of it? Is there a website or any place that's keeping track? Or Everything is not in one place okay. all yet. Um, a video just came out, um, which is kind of accessible everywhere. Yeah, I'll, I'll post a link to that oh, in the you. show notes. And, and that sort of lays the, the groundwork. It does. It does. So, and, you know, we put, I posted on the brewery, Facebook page, yeah. and but... The answer is we ought to do that. Uh, do you, are you going to do that, you, Mr. Technology yeah, Facebook? Yeah, right. Me. Yeah, I <laughs> can yeah, barely send an email. We can barely open headphones. I was going to say, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you got me there. <laughs> he couldn't find the camera on his uh, computer for a Zoom meeting yesterday. So uh, yeah, sure. All right. So for right now, we'll say follow Milk House's social media. And also the Brewers Association of Maryland yes. will most definitely post any kind yes. of progress and, that's and hopefully, been made. And hopefully University of Maryland Extension 
Um, so there, there should be places between Twitter, Facebook, um, so, well, I'll, Instagram. I'll, I'll tag all those different places and list them where people can Thank you. keep up to date. Okay. Um, I know uh, Tom told me that there is a more important interview. Oh, I never he said needs that. To do. He de- but, I mean, Brian was there when you mentioned it. Um, to do in a little bit, so I won't take up too much more of your time. But I do end every episode asking stupid questions, intentionally stupid questions to people. Um, so I'm going to ask only a couple of these so I don't delay your more important He's interview. going to the iPad now, by the way, for all you listeners. <laughs> uh, well, and everything else, I just wing it. This this is the important this part. This is serious. Though. Do you watch apples before eating them? No. No. See, I think that should be proof that you don't have to. We have two farmers here, one and in academia. You don't have to wash apples. I've been I eating. polish it on my sleeve. <laughs> See, that counts. But you're probably also eating ones out of a crone <laughs> locally and haven't been sprayed with everything that's... <laughs> Who would win in a battle between a ninja and a pirate? Oh, the pirate. Yes! I, I knew I could count on Tom answering that correctly. Okay, then I think that's the right answer. That is the right answer. Because <laughs> if everyone, everyone knows a pirate would win, even though a lot of people were wrong he would cheat. answered. He would cheat. I don't care how it happens. He would just win. Does pineapple belong on a pizza? No. No. no that is the correct answer. No. You guys are good at these. You're, you're batting 100 so far. I have a feeling that Tom's not even going to know who this is, so that's why I'm going to make sure I ask this one. Is Nickelback a good band? One hit wonder. I have no idea. Yes. <laughs> the look on your face did say that. Uh, I'm a Frank Zappa fan, is, okay? What is the best color of Starburst? Pink. That is correct. Brian is yeah. really good at these, although I think he was going to answer the ninja one wrong. Yeah, I saved myself. <laughs> I'll go with pink. <laughs> is a hot dog a sandwich? Almost. I'm going to have to say no. Tom, if you were a spice girl, what would your sp- name be? Is there a mouthy spice? <laughs> yeah, that. so we have to add one. Mouthy. Well, yeah, I mean, that that's what it is. Like, not like you don't take over one of the names. Right. So. Who would play you in a movie about your life? Harrison Ford. That would work. Steve, I, Steve McQueen. He's dead. You can't get any more. I know. Jobs. And that's how that's <laughs> that's how that's how it would go. That's how it would go. We would we would have done it if he was alive, but it's over. Do you watch 1923? I've seen. Three episodes. Very good. I got, I'm up to date now. Watched the newest one last night. I was going to, but I got delayed by some event I had to do. Okay. 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 I, went, I went home and watched it. <laughs> I went home and collapsed. That's got Harrison Ford in it. Yeah, that's why, that, yeah that's why I brought it up. Oh, okay, okay. I don't normally just bring up 1923. Okay. <laughs> that's not part of the questioning. <laughs> and Harrison Ford is even older than I am. He's like 100. He's only 80-something. 100. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yes. Yes. Tom, what would your stripper name be? Mouthy. Mouthy, <laughs> mouthy Spice. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Thank you so much for your time today. I think that's a good note to end on. Um, I'm excited. It's, it's kind of cool to, to have something that Maryland, like Maryland can call its own. Yeah. 
We're excited too. We're excited. And, you know, Brian and I are both lifelong Marylanders and we both went to the University of Maryland and um, we make went to Maryland. School? I, I couldn't help it. My mother made me go. <laughs> My mother did it. <laughs> hey, I was the only one of five sons who listened to his mother too. I'll tell you that. Um, so yeah, let's, um, let's end this. So you have time to get ready for your important interview. Um, and, uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Cheers. Chris. Thank you, Chris. Thank Cheers. you very much. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh, my God. That's good.